as Tyler said earlier, happy Father's Day to all those fathers out there and all those who have helped with fathering. So, kids, you are dismissed, those that are here. It's been one of those mornings. It's like everything was nice and easy, and then as soon as service started, realized, oh, we didn't put up sound for online, and then online went crazy and all that. So, it's just one of those mornings so far. But we'll get into the Word because the Word is what matters, right? Praising the Lord through worship, praising the Lord through the Word. So that's what we try to do here. And I don't know if I'm loud enough, Lisa, or not. Uh, am I loud enough for you guys? Because we have extra fans on because it's hot, so I can't hear myself like I normally do. So, well, let's pray and get into uh, James chapter 3. Lord, we, we're so thankful that you are the ultimate Father. Whether our fathers were wonderful fathers here on earth or, or that concept is just foreign to us, we know that you are the perfect father. And we thank you for providing those who have raised us and, and uh, uh, catered to our needs and, and loved us. Uh, the different people have done that. We pray this morning as we get into your word that it uh, be meaningful to us. That we truly think about what we're being taught, what we're learning, and how we implement that into our lives. In your loving name, Jesus, amen, amen. Well, we are in, we are in, uh, let's see, chapter three of James. And you might remember, as we've been going through this, there's three, or, or there's a whole bunch of different themes kind of gone through the chapters, but, but the themes that we've kind of covered so far in James is he's challenging us as Christians to become mature and to make a commitment in this life. And sometimes that can be difficult, right? <laughs> oh, he fell. Little, little one's tired. We helped move Tyler yesterday, so he's uh, a little tired there. But uh, James is challenging us as Christians to, be, to become mature and to become committed. A mature you know, Christian embraces trials. Because those trials help us kind of grow up to be more in the image of Christ. A mature Christian is on guard against temptation because we know the devil is, is right there trying to destroy our witness to this world. To people to go, typical Christian. So we have to be on guard for that. And then in chapter 2 he talks about how a mature Christian demonstrates a heart of love to those who who are down and out, those who, who need help, the widows, the orphans, and, and those that are poor. And we should reach out to them. And in chapter 3, he will delve into how a mature Christian has a power over his tongue. He's already alluded to this. In fact, he alludes to it every chapter. In chapter 1, verse 19, to be, you know, slow to listen and, and, and or, or, slow to listen. See, I, I even messed that up. Swift to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. He also says that those can, that cannot control their tongue don't really know Jesus. And that kind of makes us go, What? Well, we'll talk a little bit about that today, but, but the tongue gives us a glimpse of what's truly in a person's heart. The spoken word is one of the most powerful things that God has ever created for the human. Nothing, is, you know, nothing has done more good and more harm at the same time than the tongue. 
We can praise God. We can preach the word. We can bring people to Christ. We can offer encouragement and, and love all with the tongue. And with that same tongue, we can tell lies. We can ruin a person. And we can break hearts. That's terrible, isn't it? Wow. We influence others with what we say and how we say it, and yet we take this power for granted. We do not understand most of the time the power of our words, so we use them carelessly. Or carelessly. James begins in chapter 3, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that, that we who teach will be judged more strictly. In other words, if you're going to make speaking or teaching your full-time profession, know this, that the more you speak, the more things you're going to say, and some of those things will be wrong. Or they'll be susceptible to critique. Or the things you say sometimes will be hurtful, and you will be judged more strictly for what comes out of your mouth. We see this both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I'm not saying this from a standpoint of, well, you know, the only the pastor up here can speak about the Bible. I'm not saying that. Because what does James call? James calls us all saints. I mean, uh, Paul calls us, we're, we're all saints. Paul calls us to, to all be teachers. Some teach in the church, but every one of us teach out there in the world the image of Christ by your own life. But there are some that teach strictly from the Bible. So we have to be careful. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, in Proverbs 10, 19, it says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Matthew 12, 37, For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Ouch. There is no clearer place that this is true than when teaching God's word. It is one thing being a teacher in life. We have teachers out here amongst us, and, and I praise the Lord for those teachers. They are valuable. They are teaching my kids at school. All the, I went through kindergarten this year, you know, on Zoom with my child. I'm thankful for our teachers. But it's also another thing altogether to teach the spiritual truth from the Bible that if you get it wrong, you can lead others astray. If you get it wrong, like some cults do, you're condemning people to hell. Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, Christian scientists, and many other cults are leading people astray. And they're condemning them. Understand this. James is not trying to discourage those called to teach the word to be dismayed and not obey that call. He, you know, his point is to admonish those to make sure that they're teaching correctly. Many people over the years have, uh, you know, uh, 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 we have seen uh, say they're called to preach, but by watching their fruit of who they are, we can see that maybe they're not called. I'm not talking about the quantity of fruit. I'm talking about the quality of the fruit. And I want to be careful here also, because, I mean, we see Isaiah in the Bible, a prophet of God. We know he was a prophet of God. I mean, his words are just so amazing, you know. And, but, 
But he did not make a huge impact on his generation. In fact, as a prophet, he was ignored for 55 years. So if you took today's standard and put Isaiah here today, everybody go, his ministry is failing because we're judging by human standards. Because we're looking at quantity, not quality. We have to look at quality. The nation of Israel has had many false teachers over the years. In Jeremiah's time, they became uh, infested with false teachers. In Jeremiah 23, it says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the fleek of my pasture, or the sh- uh, scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. They were leading people to idolatry. When I think of this, I think of smiling Joel Olstein. Someone who speaks in platitudes, who doesn't really say much about the word of God, who doesn't bring up Christ in his church. He talks about God as this overall thing, which is great, but he never gets down to the nitty gritty. It is about how God is going to bless you, feel good about everything, and it's about enriching himself and saying that he's speaking for God, which I don't think he is. I believe he is corrupt. You may have a different opinion. That's okay. That's what I believe. Ezekiel 34, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? They were enriching themselves. Jeremiah 23, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man, like a strong man overcame by wine. Because the Lord in his holy words, the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched and the pastures in the wilderness are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both, both prophet and priest are godless. Even in the temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Wow. This is so sad. And yet we see this happening today. He goes on and says, And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen ho- something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They, they strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turn from their wickedness. They are like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Wow. (laughs) Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. These are powerful words. You have spiritual leaders who are supposed to be teaching the word of God, and they're not doing it faithfully. They're tickling ears. They tell you what they want or what you want to hear. This is okay and that's okay because God is all about love. Yes, God is about love. That is one of the foundational things about God. But that doesn't mean we accept every action. It doesn't mean we accept everybody. As in they're doing godly actions. There comes a point where we hold to the truths of God and say, you know what, I love you, but those actions are not of God. That is not blessed by God. And I sound like a fundamentalist preacher at this point. And we we try not to come from that standpoint. We, We want to love everyone at this church. But we call sin a sin. If somebody's having adultery, we say that's sin. If somebody's a constant liar, we say stop lying, that is sin. If somebody's a homosexual, we say that is not good, that is sin. It's all on the same playing field. 
Sin is sin according to God. And spiritual leaders must point that out in a loving way. We don't reject. We just say we don't agree. Paul says in the last days we'll have the same thing. That many will turn away from the truth. And if the teachers don't hold the church accountable, if they don't teach the truth, then what good is the teacher? See, God's word is powerful. It convicts us to improve our actions. If all we do is preach platitudes, then we never change our behavior. We never start down the path of becoming like Christ. Jeremiah was one of the few prophets in his day that really preached the word. And the people of God, God's people, the Israelites, hated him for that. They could not stand the guy. In fact, they took him out and they beat him and they threw him into a well. The prophet of God. One of the things that God told Jeremiah to tell them was that the time of repentance was short and the Babylonians were coming to defeat them. And they laughed at them. And what happened? The Babylonians came and they defeated Israel and they carted them off. All the other false prophets were teaching that Jeremiah was working for the enemy. Just submit to our ways, they said. Don't fight us on this. Jeremiah is the true enemy here. Don't listen to him. Peace. God is with you, they kept saying. And they were speaking lies to the people. When there was no peace coming, because judgment was coming. Jesus was, you know, also spoke out against false prophets in his ministry, warning us of those false prophets telling us that they were dangerous. Not just dangerous, but eternally dangerous. In Matthew 7, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, only a few find it, not because the gate is hidden, the gate is there but because the false prophets are leading people down the wrong path. Look at what he says next. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Watch out, he says. Beware. Danger. It's like the sign is flashing. Danger, danger. End of road. Now, when we see that, do we go check it out? No, we stay away from that. We see a sign that says danger. Most people, except Joe down here, stay away from those things. I know Joe, so I mean, I'm just saying. (laughs) In 2 Peter 2, he warns us about false prophets. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there uh, will be false teachers among you. 
They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them. And we see this directly in the Mormon church today where they're changing just enough of who Jesus was, just enough of who Jesus is to literally damn people to hell. It's sad. We have relatives that are in that church and we mourn of the destruction that they're headed for. He goes on and says, bringing swift destruction to them on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So we see in, you know, in James in chapter 1 and chapter 2, deal with those who say they're Christians, but by their actions, he is saying what? Check yourself. Taste your own fruit in a sense. Is the fruit in your life saying, I am a Christian, or is it just your mouth? That's a question for you to answer. Others will see it. We don't judge people to hell. God judges people to hell. But we can tell where you're at by your fruit. The nature and the heart of God should be in us. So the things that he loves are the things that we love. God notices when we love those who need that love. In the Old Testament, he says that he will notice that and bless us when we are out there loving the unlovable, looking out for those who are in need. He goes on and, you know, uh, God also says in Titus, in Titus 1.16, um, it says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Talking, talk, 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 talk. But what do their actions say? Now, Joe, I didn't defend, uh, offend Joe. He's helping his wife. We're having a, yeah, nice, huh? Yeah, see my mouth. It got me in trouble, didn't it? No, um, they're putting together a meal for Father's Day. So, um, so uh, you know, right before this verse... Oh, it goes on and says, they are dis detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Right before this verse, Titus basically says, people can talk a good game, but then they do nothing about it. It's like the athlete that just is full of himself, but he doesn't have the ability to back it up, right? I mean, LeBron James would not be able to talk like LeBron James does unless he was a, a phenomenal, great basketball player, right? Whether you like him or not, he has skill, right? The same thing with Michael Jordan. The same thing with any other sports hero as we look at him. Unless they were able to actually do it, they couldn't talk that way. There's people out there that talk that way, but they don't do it, and people just kind of scoff at them. They just kind of laugh at them. The same thing when it comes to our Christian walk. The Spirit of God should change us. We should be different from the world. Do you feel different from the world? If we're not different from the world, then maybe the Spirit of God is not in you. I don't know. That's between you and God. That's not between me and you. It's one thing to see the obvious, the false prophets, false teachers. You can see them in for the money. I mean, you can see some TV prophets, especially. I mean, I grew up in the 80s and early 90s, and TV prophets were just everywhere. And you could sit there going, man, they're just taking people for the money. You can see it. Yet so many people, it was obvious, but so many people were falling for the stuff. Today, sometimes it's a little more subtle. But let me bring it home a little bit. 
what we say through our mouth reflects what we believe and who we follow. Luke 6.45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What overwhelms your heart is what comes out. It's what you value. It's what you're concerned about. We cannot see your heart, but we can see the results of your heart. See, the Pharisees back in biblical times were all about outward things, rituals, teaching the laws. They were very upset with Jesus' disciples because they didn't go through this, you know, they didn't do everything the correct way. There was one point where there was, uh, before you ate, you know, we, what do we tell our kids? Go wash your hands. We have an, in our spare bathroom, you know, uh, uh, on the wall, it says, wash your hands. And then parentheses, mom says so, okay? We always say that. Well, the disciples, they didn't go through the ritual to wash their hands. There was a, there, I mean, there was a, you think mom says just wash your hands and you're like, ah, and you go and wash your hands, you know, it's a pain. No, no, they had a whole ritual that you had to do. And I won't go into all the rituals just because of time today. But believe me, it wasn't just going there in 20, 30 seconds, you're done, come back and eat. No, I mean, we're talking a couple hour procedure to wash your hands. That's how far they went with these rules. So they're confronting Jesus because they're upset about this. And they say to Jesus in Matthew 15, or, or Jesus is responding to them. He says, uh, he called out to the crowd and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then verse 17. Don't you see uh, whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating and with unwashed hands does not defile them. So we see that defilement. We see that sin. We see the destructive nature starts where? In our heart, in our heart, and it works itself out of the mouth and into our life. See, most of us, unfortunately, we treat our hearts like a cesspool. We pump in all this junk, all these worldly things. I mean, obviously, we can point out stuff like pornography, okay? But also think about the TV. I mean, there's just, there's some evil things on TV that are supposed to be called sitcoms. And I'm not saying every sitcom on TV is evil, okay? I'm not saying that. But there are some you look at and you go, that's just wrong. Or, I mean, are certain movies just sitting there going, that, that's just evil and that's pumping it in. And we allow our kids to watch this stuff sometimes. Or we watch it. The stuff we fill our hearts and our minds with, the TV or the music or the movies. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. I love good, you know, 80s music. Until sometimes I start listening to the words, pour some sugar on me, da 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 Oh, you know, let me turn that back off. 
You see, everyone believes that they're a good person. And yet many don't understand how defiled the human heart can be. Why is that? Well, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond care. Who can understand this? Sin entered this world when the apple was bit. And ever since then, our hearts have been defiled. And there's only one cure for that, and that is Jesus Christ. God knows the heart. He sees the heart. But we can become so jaded of what we're putting into our heart that evil no longer sings evil. This is why it's important for us to know what, uh, you know, for those that have children or grandchildren, to know what the schools are, are teaching them. Knows what goes in their little minds and their little hearts. I can remember in second grade, and, and we really liked this teacher, but the teacher was, was uh, you know, doing this, um, doing this lesson on, on this, you know, juxtaposition, two views of two sides. And I think I've talked about this before, but, but she was using the, the bombing of Pearl Harbor and the bombing of Hiroshima. And I'm thinking, my child is seven years old, and you're talking about bombing and killing 70,000 people in an instant. Let him be a kid. I'm sure there's some other way you can show that lesson. I was not too happy about that. And yet I turn around and most of the kids in the class are doing what? Playing Fortnite. Brandon wanted to play Fortnite because all his friends were playing Fortnite. And I said, no, that's one game. No, we don't play a game where all you do is you, you know, on the computer you take a gun, you run up to somebody and you just shoot them in the head. You know, or we, we just don't do that. I don't want that to be who we are. I don't want that to be on our heart. We need to be mindful of what our young ones see and hear. And boy, do I sound like an old fogey, don't I? There are all sorts of movies I used to love, and now I'm sitting there going, you know, that movie's not so good anymore. We try to go to movies. We try to do a date night. It's hard. We usually end up at Costco and come back to church and do something. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to see or hear something, but it's another thing to internalize it. And that's when we bring it into our heart. So how do we know when it's in our hearts? When it comes out of our mouth. Hmm. It's something to gauge our spiritual health. I just went to the eye doctor for my yearly appointment. It only took me three years to go back, but, you know, I'm just saying... Um, but he never changes my prescription, you know. So I'm like, why, why go paying that 70, 80 bucks or whatever to get the thing? Okay, I know, I know, I should. But anyway, but they had this new thing that really, I mean, they, you, you put your chin up to it and, and put your eye right up there. And it takes this huge, super close picture of your eye. Okay, I mean, I mean, the picture comes out huge, and they can go into it really well. And he's talking to me afterward, and he going, he's going, um, well, you, you don't have any signs of glaucoma. You're not having any other issues. You don't have diabetes. Why they can tell that from that, I have no idea, but apparently they can. Uh, you don't have this. You don't have that. I was amazed at what they could tell from the picture of the eye. This is the same way with the mouth. What comes out of your mouth may, may indicate the presence of a problem. It's like the big picture. Maybe it says you don't have this and you don't have that. Great. Wonderful. 
The tongue can reveal what's, what's going on inside the heart. What condition is it in? Is it hardened? Is it pliable? Is it soft? Is it of the things of God? When we underestimate the power of the spoken word, I mean, think about this. A judge can sentence someone to death with the tongue. A gossip can say something or text something that ruins a reputation. A cynical professor that's against religion can destroy a student's faith. The power of words. For every word that Hitler wrote in, in his Mein Kampf, or however you pronounce that, 125 people died in World War II. For every word. Solomon was right when he said in Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has power of life and death. James compares it to a deadly fire, a dangerous you know, beast that we'll talk about, and a deadly poison. But speech can be a matter of life and death. Now, the tongue doesn't act alone. It works with other parts to accomplish the, ta the task. It's like a gun. The gun doesn't kill. The person who pulls the trigger kills with a gun. The mind says, pull the trigger. The nerves send the signal. The muscles go into action. The fingers pull the trigger. The trigger hits the bullet, and the bullet exits the gun. Each part plays a vital role in that. The same is true with our words. The tongue is what fires the word. It's the trigger. And they come right out. There's many parts involved. Our emotions, especially when we're upset, can cause great harm. Especially when it's voiced out loud. We're taught to ignore people when they say stuff. I mean, you know, we, our kids, oh, just ignore them. You know, sticks and stones. But in reality, guess what? It's hard to ignore. It's hard to, to, uh, for a wound to heal that, that's happened because of words. Something that's said. Some things that get stuck within us. And they continue to harm us. The word sharpens, uh, uh, or the world sh sharpens their tongues and, and readies them to fire at each other. And it hurts because we need to be careful of this. I mean, it's one thing to joke around. It's another thing to joke around with a point. You know what I'm saying? Let me get this jab in here. It can do great damage. Again, Proverbs 18, 21. And I only read the first half earlier. Listen to the second part. The tongue has a power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. There are a lot of people who don't know the power of the spoken word. They love to shoot off with the mouth, love to talk, love to gossip, love to put people down, to be rude, to say whatever, you know, it's this idea of I can say whatever I want to say because it's my right. And yet, what does God say? Guard the tongue. Think before you speak. Listen first. Just because you have the right doesn't mean you should, because it can be used for life and death. We need to use kind words, encouraging words. Our kind of fruit, the things that come out of us should be loving. 
instead of ripping people apart, tearing them down. That's just bad fruit. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of a reckless, uh, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If you want to get anything out of the sermon today, memorize uh, Psalms 141.3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch on the doors of my lips. Another translation says, Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. I love that. Take control. The tongue has done a lot of damage. And Jesus says the problem comes from the heart. So James says that a mature Christian has control over the tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that that, uh, we who teach will be judged more strictly. When you are a teacher, you produce like-minded people. Not exactly, you know, but sit under somebody teaching long enough, you start to kind of think like they do. So, if you teach watered-down Christianity, you teach what you think, you don't teach from the Word of God, you teach platitudes, what do you have? Watered-down people. This is why it's important to teach the Word property, to watch out for sin. If we condone it, then it runs rampant. It's important to know who we're listening to. So a lot of the sermon really kind of pertains to me versus you. But at the same time, I think you need to understand it because it's important for you to know who you're listening to. To question, you can question what I teach. That's fine. I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm the pastor. Get out. Of, you know, I'm not going to do that. I may come back and say, well, this is why I believe this or this is why I believe that. And we can discuss it. But it's important to know, you know, who you're listening to, to examine their words against the word of God. No other book makes claims like the New Testament on its teachers. It calls for a commitment to Jesus Christ to teach the word properly because it's a serious matter. In the broadest sense of the word, a teacher of God's word is a prophet, Okay, and I'm not saying you got to call me Prophet Allen. I'm Prophet Allen. No, but I'm saying in the broadest sense of the word, I have the gift of prophecy, the gift of teaching. You know, it's one of the gifts in the New Testament. You know, I'm not like Jeremiah and Isaiah and them guys, but, you know, I have that gifting. In that broadest sense, a prophet is a spokesman for God. Guess what? We all represent God in one way or another in this world. But when you're specifically a teacher of God's word, you can't rush into ministry. You have to hold yourself to a higher standard. As one of my old pastors said when I was talking with him about ministry and entering ministry or or not, and he said, Alan, if there's anything else you want to do in life, go and do it. It'll save you a lot of heartache. It'll save you a lot of time. Because ministry can chew you up and spit you out, and you have to decide whether it's worth it or not at that point. He was right. Ministry can chew you up and spit you out. So you have to be found, your foundation has to be God. You you have to know that you're called from God. As a spokesman of God, you have to know what you're talking about because you can't make it up. Ezekiel 3 says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for, for the people of I. 
So, so hear the word I speak and give them a warning for, for and give them a warning from me. When I say to the wicked person, "You will surely die," and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die from their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. You see, if I if all I teach are the nice lovey dovey things. You know, we talked about that right after Easter. We did a four-week series, and, and it was just all about God's love over your, your past and your presence and your future. It was all, I mean, it was great. And then I go into the book, book of James where it just kind of slaps us around a little bit, right? If I only teach the love part and don't teach the other difficult things, then I'm held accountable for your blood in a sense, but if you warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from the evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will, ha you will have saved yourself. All those teachers who are out there not calling out sin, they will be held accountable. And it's sad. We have to share the whole counsel of God, not just the blessing part. Not just the, you know, and not, and the flip side of that is not just the, the correct, the sin part. The whole counsel of God. And that is what we try to do here. There are parts of the word of God that are up to interpretation. Where there's disagreements about what it says. Okay, I don't have a problem with that. It's a kind of a gray area. I don't think the pastor is, is correct and gets it right all the time. But there are clearly defined things in the Word of God and what it says. And those who represent the Word of God, we have to be true. Because if we don't, if we, if we teach the world what they want to hear and not what it says, then we're condemning ourselves and them. If you teach what it says, then the people have to decide what to believe. And we've saved ourselves. And I don't mean that we save ourselves. I'm just... Repeating what they say. We don't save ourselves. God saves us. But we can't give in to the culture. Here we will not teach that gay marriage is blessed by God. We won't. We will love them, but we won't teach that. It's not in the Bible. That's not of God. If I were to teach that that is blessed, I'd be condemning myself. And I'd be condemning them. We can't teach that there's multiple, multiple paths to God. Jesus Christ is the only avenue, the only path to God. Plain and simple. It's not all religions lead to the ultimate God. No. Jesus leads to God. That's what the Word of God says. I'd be remiss if I didn't teach that. There are many other issues, but I think we can understand these two clearly here. It goes on and says, and I'm, I'm wrapping up here, but not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we, will, we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. This is referring to moral failures. We've all sinned. Even the pastor sins. But when we talk about maturity here, we're not talking about perfection. The only one that was perfect is who? Jesus Christ. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. And the per word perfect here is mature. Able to keep their whole body in check. James is saying, if we can control our tongues by the grace of God, 
then we can control all the other areas in our life. James is saying, concentrate on the tongue because that leads to the heart or the other way around, but you know what I'm saying. If you can get that under control, then most everything else falls right into place because then you're following the one true God. You're following the teachings of of Christ. You're becoming more Christ-like when we do that. I was amazed. I've been at... uh, two different events lately that have been in churches. One was our church. We had a, a thing. Uh, and, and not that everybody's perfect. You know, every so often a word may slip out, and that doesn't mean it condemns you to hell. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to say that. But I was amazed at, at some of the words I heard out of, out of people's mouth in the church building. Okay, not that this is, you know, anywhere special more than outside, but, but you would think that they would have a little bit of, a, oh, I don't know, what's the word, respect? you know, for the church, the church body. And some of the things I've heard said, I'm just like, I didn't react, I didn't, I just left it alone because they weren't part of our congregation. They weren't members of, of the church. If you're a member of my church, I'd reprimand you. I would say something. That's not appropriate. We represent God wherever we go, inside the church, outside the church. You represent God. You're a saint of God. Allow him to change you from the inside out. You notice I didn't say you need to change. I said allow him to change you because you can't do it yourself. Why? Because we're all corrupt. Every one of us. It's in our nature because of what the devil did back in Genesis. And the only cure for that is Jesus Christ. And we slowly become more like him when we abide, when we live, when we put his truths into us. Amen? Hopefully you say amen. Well, why don't you stand and uh, the worship team will come up and finish us out. Um, I will be putting out an email about fireworks and a couple other things. And then today we're actually going to have a meal right after that that, uh, Joe and... Uh, Roxanne and uh, put together. So why don't we pray? Lord, I, I, this is a hard one, Lord. So many of us have difficulty with the tongue. Whether it's a cutting joke, whether it's a little jab, or whether it's just all out language, Lord, I pray that you help us get control of the tongue, that through your Holy Spirit, we can mature ourselves, that we can, we can become more like you. And when we control the tongue, Lord, I pray that other areas of our life come to, under control. That through your spirit, our lives can change. And as we represent you in this world, that, that's a great representation. That people don't look at us and go typical Christian. They look at us and say, man, they're, they're different. I wonder why that is. And that leads them to asking questions. And we can bring them into your kingdom through our love. Not through us pointing out sin, but through us pointing out how you love us so much that we owe them a debt of love. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.